Welcome to the RevTech Revolution Podcast. Today we have a special live episode where Revis Ken Lorenz sits down to talk with Tiki Barber. They talk about Tiki's football career, how Tiki almost went to work for Oracle, and life lessons about teamwork and failure. All of this and more on the RevTech Revolution Podcast. want to get this right. So first of all, I want to thank everybody for being here tonight. Most of all, I want to thank Tiki Barber. I want to get this right now. Three-time Pro Bowler, mm-hmm. leading rusher for the New York Giants in New York Giants history. Mm-hmm. New York Giants Ring of Honor member. Yes. Am I missing anything? Um, good guy. No. Good guy. This is good. Other than right. I missed the Super Bowl. All right, so I retired the year before the Super Bowl. But other than that, my happens. career was great. All right, so that, that that's the part where the script ends. All right, so we're we're mostly going to talk about relationships, but we're going to have some fun. And so Tiki's been kind enough to allow me to ask him some questions about relationships. And some some of this can be serious, and some of this I hope we're going to have fun. But we were told we couldn't talk about certain topics, right? Like what? Uh, my my early retirement. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. I retired at just Are the you right time. Me here, I know, right? <laughs> All those over there shaking in his boots a little bit. Um, so we're not going to talk about that. We're, we're not going to talk about the Buffalo Bills, unless you want to. Uh, we can. All right, we might go there. <laughs> All right, let's 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 start off with something easy. Something I like to call lightning round questions. Okay. Now these are easy, right? All right. So, coffee or tea? Coffee, without a doubt. All right. The beach or the mountains? The mountains. The beach, I get, you know, black people don't like sitting in the sun. <laughs> I had to put it out there. <laughs> other than Tracy. Other than Tracy. With two E's, by the way. Thank you. All right. Uh, how about, we'll go a little technology. How about Macintosh or PC? I, this is a tough one. Uh, no, I can't punt. Punt. I am all Apple right now. Okay. But I grew up on PCs because at UVA I was in the business school, the McIntyre School of Commerce, and I studied management information systems. So I learned how to program on PCs, and the functionality is better there than on Macs. It's too. It's too complicated. But you're so, Apple now. But I'm Apple now. But I prefer the PC. <laughs> I, I, I got indoctrinated and stuck. Everything is Apple now, but I prefer the PC. Okay. All right. Aldo, you hear that? Uh, yeah, I don't, it went out the other ear. It's a standard, it's a standard interview question uh-huh. in your company. All right. So would he, it would have been better if you would have asked me C++, COBOL, or Visual Basic. Okay, go ahead. Where did that come from? I thought that was an NYS maybe. But what... what, what Okay, of those, your favorite? C++. Okay. Even though it's basic. What about Ada or Modular 2 or Lisp? At that point, I was playing football. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Moore's Law passed me, man. Trust me. Yeah. All right. Last one. We'll get off the lightning round. Star Wars, Star Trek. See, God, you ask good lightning round questions. Star Trek. Which one? No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> so if you want to do originals, it's Star Wars without question. Right. But Paramount Plus exactly. has come out with, with Discovery, with Picard, 
Um, there's the there's the new one that with Captain Pike, um, who people don't know. Captain Pike was the pilot. Uh, episode captain of Star Trek. He was only there for one episode and then it became obviously uh, William Shatner. So it's hard because now I love Star Trek, but my my soul is Star, is Star Wars. So even though I got right. kind of convoluted and Jar Jar Binksy. <laughs> originals. The originals, exactly. Star Wars originals. How about that? Peacock has some sort of new that's right. Star yeah. Wars thing. That, no, Star Trek. Trek. Star Trek. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Trek. Yes. Star Wars and Star Wars is Disney. It's Disney. Yeah. 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 Obi Wan is pretty That's right. good. That's right. But it's Disney. It's not George Lucas. So. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's get onto a serious question for a second. Okay. Those weren't serious. No. <laughs> All right. So, I can tell you personally, this was my first business trip in three years, which Aldo and the team know I traveled extensively 95% of the time, never turned in my expenses on time, <laughs> almost as bad as Stefan. Um, but this was my first trip on the road. And when you think about building relationships, we all think about three years ago and before that, where we spent a lot of time face to face. Yeah. Now, coming out of Virginia, moving to New York, You've got a lot of people to meet and spend time with, with everything you're doing. How'd you build relationships during this period? And how did you keep those relationships when you've got things like FaceTime and yeah. Zoom and so on? So it's a really good question. I can answer this from a personal standpoint and a professional standpoint. So about nine years ago, I started a company with Mark Gerson of the Gerson Lambert Group called Thusio. It's an event company and we have a... Um, a, a um, uh, influencer marketing platform, a SaaS product that we push out to different uh, companies. And when the pandemic hit, our event company basically ended. Right? We, were, we were dead in the water. We had no shot at producing revenue because we did this. We did in-person events. But very quickly, we realized the power of Zoom and the power of, of networking over the internet. And we became one of the leaders in virtual events. And through that process, we, we figured out how to connect by doing things that are off the beaten path for events. So we would do cooking events. We would do uh, you know, demonstrations, whether it's you know, sports or otherwise. And it, it, it made a different type of connection, but it allowed us to serve our client. Uh, the beauty of it is that we learned how to do something new that ultimately let us double our revenue and it, and it led to an acquisition uh, event. And so while a lot of people will look at the pandemic and the, the, the negative effects of it, there was also a lot of opportunities in it. And we made a lot of new friends, business clients that we otherwise wouldn't have had the bandwidth to reach out to. From a personal standpoint, it was rough because all of a sudden you're stuck in inside. You can't go have those Tuesday drinks or Wednesday drinks or Thursday <laughs> drinks, or whatever it is. And for those of you who have kids, especially if you have young kids like me, all of a sudden you're a teacher. Right. And, and it, it, was, it was challenging. Um, but it's also revealing, right? I, I, I know this from personal experience. Um, some of my friends, they're getting divorced now because they didn't, they didn't enjoy it. Right. But some of our other friends bonded in ways that were, they didn't even think they could do. 
because they've been so busy, they're, they're doing so many different things, but now all of a sudden they were inside with each other and they found out how much they really enjoyed being around each other and they don't hang out on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday with us anymore. <laughs> uh, because, they, because they, And so I, I think creating, using a negative to create a positive is what we did professionally and the same thing could be said for us personally in a lot of ways. I, I actually loved it because I commute in the city for my radio show every, uh, every day. And back then when the pandemic happened, we were, we were three to 6 p.m., which meant that I was fighting traffic for an hour and a half to get home. I'd get home at 7.30, my kids would be getting ready for bed and I would never see them. And then the pandemic happened and my commute was 10 seconds to the, to right. the, to the kitchen. <laughs> and so I saw my kids. We've subsequently moved to WFAN locally. We do the midday show uh, and we're 10 to two. So my, my commute is tougher in the morning, but great in the afternoon. Um, so it's all worked out. It's not always the case, but I think the effort in trying to create new ways to make relationships is what most of us or some of us got out of the pandemic. That's an awesome answer, Tiki. Thank you. Yeah, very well done. We uh, we had a little uh, we had a meeting of our senior team earlier this week. Um, guys, can I share this a little bit? No. So yeah. No. So we we uh, we had a meeting in Stefan's room. <laughs> It was it was an in, it was an internal meeting. Was Stefan there? Stefan was there. Hey, you got you got you, know, you got a picture of this, right? There's only in the hotel we're in. There's only a little desk, and there's a bed in the middle of the room. So we pull up Who chairs. Was bed, yes. Nobody was on the bed. Uh, but we used the bed like a conference table. So we had the chairs pulled up to the side of the bed. Oh, that's we had a Zoom call going. Not Zoom. Teams call going. Yes. We're on video, and one of our team members was still in Edmonton. So the rest of us are in the room. And I look down and I realize we're, the three of us are communicating with each other, looking at the camera, not at each other in the room. And there was a level of comfort, actual comfort of being able to look them on the screen and then look up, oh, Aldo's actually in the room. Yeah. Oh, Stefan is actually in the room. And it's, I think people are going to have to deal with that, what's reality difference. That's right. But I think, I think eye contact is something that actually increased yes. because of the pandemic and being on uh, devices all the time. Because all of a sudden you became acutely aware that someone was looking at you. Right. Right. Otherwise, you kind of just there's there's traffic in the room. You don't think about people looking at you. But when you're sitting in front of a little eye, right, you know that people are looking at you, even if they're not. That's right. Even if they're looking, whatever, at the book or the iPhone or whatever it may be. They're not multitasking. Of course they are. That's what we do. <laughs> but no. I, you're right. I think it, it created a different connection that that I didn't think would happen from technology. But it does. It's it's an odd odd thing. Yes. But it's a great thing. And, and we'll see where it goes going forward. That's right. All right. More fun questions. Go ahead. So let's talk a little bit about what have you been up to mm -hmm. since you left football? Oh, man, a lot. So you've I have lot, six you've kids. You've had a lot going on. Yeah. Well, that's I, one thing. I have six kids, and one is at Princeton. He's a 20-year-old, almost 20, which is crazy to me that he's 20. An 18-year-old that graduates tomorrow. Uh, he's heading up to Brown. I have 12-year-old twins. 
who are divas. They're the girls. I start now, I start now having all girls that I deserve. Um, some 12 year old twins that are, that are beautiful and they're, they're great. I got a divorce, um, which also happened in the interim since my, my playing time. And I got remarried and my eight year old is doing competitive cheer, which if you don't know competitive cheer and you think travel baseball is hard, <laughs> wow. Uh, it's rough. And then a five-year-old who's my baby. Um, she's, she's the one that still wants to lay with daddy. Everybody else is done with me. Yeah. So, so, so raising kids is, is one. I started a company, Thusio, that I told you guys about. And I've also been in media. Um, media has been an interesting journey for me. So a lot of people wondered why I retired when I retired. And I, I mentioned that timing's a bitch. I left right before the Giants won a Super Bowl. But a couple of things started to happen to me. Um, by, by virtue of being a New Yorker. So during my days, nobody lived in the city. Nobody. I, it was me and Jason Garrett, who was the former office coordinator here. He's now on NBC. Uh, everybody else lived in New Jersey. Um, and I, I wanted to live in New York. And so I lived in New York and I met all of these amazing people. And I was walking in these circles that I didn't belong in because I wasn't financially, you know, well off enough to be in these circles, but I was cool. Right. So I was in these circles and it just created so many different opportunities to the point where when I wrote my first children's book with my twin brother, uh, I was doing events for Fox News. Right. And so Brian Kilmeade said to me one day, he's like, man, you're really good at selling these books. You should come co-host with me on Fox and Friends. I was like, all right, I'll do that. This is before they dictated the narrative and all these other things. Did I say that out loud? Um, no. But so anyways, I'm now all of a sudden doing media, right. talking about things other than sports. And what that led to is, is relationships. One was with Tony Snow. Now, Tony Snow was a Fox News uh, anchor who left to become George Bush's press secretary. And he ended up getting sick and ultimately he passed away. But when he left the, the White House, he went back to do Fox News radio. And he called me one day and said, I'm tired of talking politics. I want to talk some sports. Can you call in every Thursday? So every Thursday I would call in and it was awesome. Like we'd talk about whatever, Washington, then Redskins and the Giants and whatever. And then one day he says to me, Teak, you know who really wants to meet you? I'm like, no, who? He said, Condoleezza Rice. And I was like, I was like, I was like what? She said, yeah, she really would. She loves sports. She loves football and she loves the barbers. I was like, all right, have her secretary call me. So the secretary called me. And about three months later, I go down to the to the uh, to the State Department and I'm having lunch with Condoleezza Rice. Now, remember, this is like 2004 um, ish, five, maybe. And the war is going bad. And so she has a meeting with the, with the president about the war. She has a meeting with the Japanese um, uh, finance director about some trade agreement. And then sandwiched in there is lunch with Tiki Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> and so the first thing I said when I walked in was, I hear you want to be commissioner of the NFL. And she says, I do, but I got to figure out Iran first. <laughs> and I was like, all right, so you're never going to be commissioner of the NFL. But it, it started this like interesting like whirlwind of chance meetings. I was at Tao and I met Shimon Perez, 
And he invited me to come to Israel as his guest to see these twin sports schools. And so all of a sudden, like all this stuff outside of football, like unrelated completely to the sport that I played for a living. But because I lived in New York and I had a, an image and a brand and a, whatever you want to call it, I was getting these opportunities. And football was a grind, man. It was, just, it was beating me up. And I, I, I loved it, but I hated it, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. And I saw my next path. Like I saw it. It was clear as day in front of me. And so I decided to retire. And instead of staying at Fox, I ended up going to NBC and working for the Today Show and Football Night in America and, and covering the Olympics for MSNBC. But like all of a sudden, my life was this. Like I was viewed as this. Football player, all-time great, leading rusher, blah, 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 that other nonsense. It doesn't mean anything unless you're a Giants fan. Um, and then it, it went like hard right, right? And so it was awesome, but it taught me about reinvention. And when I went through my divorce, that was the most important lesson that I had. How do I reinvent myself now? Professionally, it's kind of easy. Personally, it's hard. Um, so I've been on a track of reinvention for the last 16 years now. I've been retired for a long time. And, and what kind of grade do you give yourself? Uh, I'd say a B. <laughs> B, just a B. Just a B. Yeah. What would make it an A? What would make it an A? That's a good question. Um, so it's it, COVID was challenging. So I didn't see my kids, my older kids, for a good year because they lived in Connecticut. So FaceTime and all that other stuff was fantastic, but it, like, like the physical right. wasn't there. Um, and so because you couldn't leave Connecticut and then go back to Connecticut I'm, I'm in Jersey. So Connecticut through a state to, to New Jersey, they would have to miss a week of school every time they came see me. So I didn't see them for like a year in person. And so this is the relationship side, back to that first question. There's a, there's a 10-year-olds to 12-year-olds, it's, it's an impressionable moment in their lives. Yep. And I completely missed it, right? And figuring out how to make that bridge happen like I, don't, like, I don't know how you make up for lost years, but yeah. if I could figure that out, I'd give myself an A. But I, don't, I haven't figured that out. Like, there's a connection that just, it was lost a little bit. Not for my older kids, because right. they're, I mean, they're boys. They were, they're, they were fine. They're knuckleheads. They're whatever. <laughs> but for those girls and for those who have girls in this room, you know, there's, there's something that happens between 10 and 12 that if you miss it, kind of you're stuck on the outside. So... That's what I'm trying to figure out. Really good, really good. Let me let me go down a little different path. Let's first of all, I want to get everybody involved in this. So when you think of yourself and you think of the job that you're in right now, some of you probably think of yourselves as a player, right? A, a direct producer. Mm -hmm. Whether you're a banker, you're an investment banker, you're a salesperson, you're on the field. And then a lot of us are in positions where we're supporting those folks around the field, right? Making sure their systems work, that they got the tools that they need to run their business, Yeah. right? I won't ask you to raise hands and which one you identify with, but we've got both in the room. Very similar to what you've got in football. Yeah. And now actually with all the stuff that you're doing, you've got a lot of people that are supporting you. That's right. Talk a little bit about what, what kind of things did you do to bridge that gap, not just between you and other players, but you and the people that were supporting you. Yeah. So I, I think 
I, I gave this presentation. I wish we had a, like a, a video because <laughs> uh, I, I, it was just a, a, just a play. I'll try to describe it to you. So on Christmas Eve in 2005, we played the Oakland Raiders in Oakland. So we're on the road. It's hostile out there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, our first, no, our second series of the game, I ripped off a 95-yard touchdown. It was awesome, right? And if you watch it, it's, it's focused on me. Bob Papa's our play-by-play guy. He's calling it, and it's just like, Tiki Barber makes a guy miss. He, he's at the 40s. He gets to the sideline. He's at the 50s. Touchdown, Tiki Barber. And God, they show these signs of Tiki with an MVP. And I showed this video. And I talked about the importance of relationships. And in my existence as a football player, I spent all of my time with the big fatties up front, right? The <laughs> offensive line. They were, my, sure. they were my gold, right? They were the ones, in your, uh, to use your, your example, that were producing and supporting me, right? Because they're the ones that take the hits. They're the ones that have to pull. Um, I would get all the glory, but it was always them. So come Christmas time, I'd get the TVs. I bought them Panerai watches. They were like, what, what is this? I don't, I don't know. What's a Panerai? Um, they never wore them because they thought it was too expensive. Um, I, I, I almost bought them Harleys, but it would have been bad if one of them crashed. And it's my fault. <laughs> so, so I ended up not doing it. Um, and so I talked about my relationship that I had with them, and I spent all these meeting time with them. And after games, I'd take them to Promola on the Upper East Side, and we'd they'd shut down the restaurant. We'd order all these bottles of wine and pasta. It was just it was all I, like I I took care of them because I knew that they were actually taking care of me. And so I, at the end of my presentation, I went back and showed I showed the clip again, but I had the the audiovisual guy slow it down at certain points. And so I started by saying. The Oakland Raiders knew exactly what play we were running. They knew it because when we got up to the line of scrimmage, they're going power, power. Power is a strong side play. You got a a leading fullback. You got a leading tight end. You got a a guard pulling from the backside. They're all just smashing in one place. It's really just to get three yards because we're backed up. We're on the five-yard line. We got 95 yards to go. We just need to get three yards. So they're cheating, and they know what's happening. And in my mind, I'm saying – God, if, if Sean O'Hara, my center, cuts off the backside and my right guard does the shuts off his guy, there's going to be a hole here, right? And so I, I ran the video. They take about three steps. My left tackle's blocking two guys. The right guard is pulling around. The center, Sean O'Hara, shuts off the backside. The right guard does his job. He smashes his guy and turns him. So there's just this massive hole, right? The play's supposed to go outside. But there's this massive hole. So what do you do if you see a massive hole? <laughs> Got to run through it. You take it. You run through it. So I run through it, and I let, the, I let the tape run again. There's a safety coming down to meet me, and I get him in the hole. And I'm old at this point, but I still shake him, and he and misses me. But I, the safety is there, but the corner's coming too. And I'm like, oh, shit, here's the corner. Right? I stopped it again. And I said, what happens? Plexico Burris, who is one of our wide receivers, comes in ears holding shit out. He just nails him right in the side of the head. And I was like, I couldn't have made that guy miss, but Plexico Burris cleaned him up for me. So now all of a sudden, I let the tape run again. I'm on the sideline. And here comes Amani Toomer. Amani Toomer is on the other side of the field. He comes all the way across the field and blocks the other safety and holds him up. Plexico, by the way, hits this guy in the side of the face, turns around, and escorts me up the sideline. And so, in the original showing of this video, it was about me. 
It was Tiki Barber with a great cut. He cuts to the sideline. He touched down Tiki Barber, MVP, nonsense. But in actuality, the only reason that play worked is because Luke Pettigrew did more than his job because he blocked two. Sean O'Hara cut off the backside, did exactly what he's just supposed to do. Uh, Chris Snee, he blocked his guy, created a hole. I, I make a guy miss, but then Plexico Burris blocks a guy. Receivers are divas, right? They don't block, but he blocks a guy. More than that, he turns around and goes above and beyond and escorts me down the field. Monty hustles his ass off across the field and blocks another guy. So it happened because of we, not me. And so when I think about team and success, it has to be we. It may look like me, right? But it has to be we. And so... Uh, when I think about team, a lot of my lessons come from my years playing football. Um, and, I, and it's a reason that athletes get asked to talk a lot and, and they have, because they have immediate examples. Right? Sometimes you got to wait a quarter if you're in, a, in the business or, you know, uh, you, know, you got you to see the results. You got to see, you know, the, the, the big picture come in. For us, it was, did you do your job right now? And you're going to get booed, cheered, whatever, right now. The eye in the sky don't lie, but it also reveals a lot, including the power of teamwork. Great story. Great story. Great. I'll, I'll, I'll cheer you on that one. Cheers. That's why they got good gifts. All right, so I got, I've got one last formal question, then we'll okay. just we'll chat. Okay. So you, you had an interview back in January. Mm -hmm. I, I actually did a little homework. Okay. <laughs> Except I can never remember this gentleman's name, nor can I read it yeah. without these readers. So you do, I'm, you, at that, I'm at that stage too, man. It's so <laughs> depressing, dude. <laughs> like my mom used to hold stuff like here, and I'm like, "What are you doing, mom?" Dude, it happened like that. that. You know, I I used to text and drive. I don't do it anymore. You know why? Because I can't see with these on while I'm texting. You're like, what did I say? Yeah, hold over, my friend. All right. So so you had a you had an interviewer, Lane Casadorni. Yeah, Casadorni. Um, he interviewed you back in January, and he was talking about your time in Virginia. Mm -hmm. He was talking about success and failure, and you were talking about it, and you made a comment that actually quoted your mom. Yeah, my mom's the best. Moms are best. Yes. Absolutely. Um, she said, and make sure I get the quote right, you never really fail unless you stop trying. That's correct. So it made me think about something I say to my team on a sort of regular basis, which is, you can win alone, but you can never lose alone. Mm -hmm. And I kind of put those two things together. What I'd love to hear, and I think everybody would love to hear is, there, look, you've had a great career, you've got great things going, but there's gotta be times where you went, I gotta stop. Oh yeah. I gotta give up. Oh yeah, I've, I've failed a lot, but I've also learned to embrace it. Like I've learned to not fear it and be scared of it. So I've done a lot of shit. <laughs> so. I mean, obviously I played football, but right. early on in my career, I was doing WFAN. What the station I work for now, I was doing during my career in the overnights. So I'd go work at 10 o'clock in the off season, 10 o'clock at night till two in the morning. Um, I, I took an acting class and I acted. In fact, I ended up on Broadway about two years ago, three years ago, doing Kinky Boots, um, which was amazing. Um, I, you know, I, I started a business in the real estate space in affordable housing because uh, Steve Ross, who owns the Dolphins, had a portfolio down in my hometown and he wanted to acquire it and he think he thought I could help. It was in 2008. 
So, <laughs> right? The timing sucks. Tax credit equity went from 98 cents on the dollar to like 68 cents on the dollar. And nobody was giving you any debt financing. So we kind of defaulted. He saved me. So it was okay. But uh, so, so hang on. I got to back you up. We, you played, was it Danny in Kenki Boots? I did. How I was did. that? No, I played Don. Don. I played Don. It was originally played by Dan uh, Dan Sherman. Okay. Now, Dan had uh, seven weeks off because he was going to do a play at the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. So they asked me if I would if I was interested in learning the role and playing Don, who is the thesis of the show. I don't know if anybody's seen Kinky Boots. Anybody see it? Yeah. So it's the it's the so this is the this is the timeout. Let me take a, let me take a thirty second. So I've done a lot professionally. Kinky Boots might have been the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my in my life, and I'm not I'm not joking. So if you don't know the show, uh, the, the the production, it's about a, a a shoe store owner whose dad dies. He takes over. It's struggling. He goes to London, he meets a drag queen, and the drag queen convinces him to make kinky boots, like boot, tall boots for drag queens. So you can imagine what the final scene was like. <laughs> my, my, my thigh high stiletto heels. And my character, Don, is the antagonist. He doesn't want this to happen. And so I'm, I'm playing a role that clearly you guys know is not me, <laughs> like someone who's just mean and like, like, that's, but I, I learned it. And over the course of the show, Don changes his tune. And the last line of the, of the production is a song, the, the, six, uh, the six stages to success. And the last one is you change the world when you change your mind. And so by that point, even if you don't know the show, you are on your feet, you are singing Let's Be, or Just Be. Just be who you want to be. Celebrate yourself triumphantly. Just be. No, dude, I can't. I, 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 I'm not even joking. I literally almost cried every night. So I didn't take off my radio show. So at six o'clock, I would, I would sprint to my car, I'd get in my car, and I'd fly around up 8th Avenue. I'd park somewhere down there, and then I'd walk the last like two blocks to the, uh, to the, to the theater, which was on 8th and 43rd. And so I'd walk up, I'd be walking up 8th Avenue. I'd usually stand on the other side just in case someone recognized me. And I'd see this line, like a line out of the theater and down 8th Avenue, right? And I used to get like emotional just walking up the line because I'd see these people who maybe knew what they were in for, but didn't really know. <laughs> but I knew that every one of them in about three hours were gonna be on their feet, singing a song, and like feeling love. And I asked um, uh, uh, Callum Francis, who played Lola in, when I was there, he's the main character. I was like, man, this is amazing. He's like, you know why you feel that way, Tiki? He said, because this show is about love. It's about acceptance. It's about seeing things in a different light. And we throw all of that out to the audience. Like we just like, here, take this love, take it, take it. And like, a tidal wave, eventually it all comes back. And so at the end of the show, you're just like, you're, you're overwhelmed, right? And so I, football was great, right? <laughs> some people cared that we won, some people didn't, but very few people like changed their 
perspective on the world and people in the world than those that watch this show. And here's the funny thing. So his boyfriend, Callum's boyfriend, was the head Ainsley, was the head, oh, he was Aladdin and Aladdin at the, t- at the same time. And so my daughter was like, I want to see Aladdin. I want to see Aladdin. And so Callum said to me, you'll go see Aladdin, but you won't like it. And I was like, what are you talking about? How many of you, everybody watched Aladdin when we were growing up, right? We'd love Aladdin. Sure. I was like, I'm gonna, you're going to love it. He's like, watch it and then come talk to me. So we go and watch it. We take Brooklyn. She loves it. She's in, in her glory. Um, and I'm watching it. I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't really like this. <laughs> this is a, it's just, it's just entertainment. And so afterwards, it's like, Callum, you were right. And he's like, it's just entertainment. There's no meaning. And so very little thing, very few things that I've done had the meaning of doing a Broadway show about acceptance. And I don't know why I got on that tangent, but. For those of us that haven't seen it, we're gonna go see it now. Well, it it closed, (laughs) but it is coming back off Broadway. And Callum, is the lead. Nice. My, my, my Lola, I mean, it was originated by, um, I am going. It was originated by, um, what's Billy. his name? Billy, um, Billy Porter. Yeah, he and he was, he's fun, he fantastic. But Callum, if you didn't see it with Callum, Callum is beautiful. I mean, he is a beautiful, tall, gorgeous man. And most of my male friends, non-homosexual, would, would come up to me after the show and said, there's no way that's a man. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, he's standing right here. Like, <laughs> I love him. He's so gorgeous. Like, there's no way he's not a man. He's a man. Trust me. And so if you go see it when it comes back off off Broadway, Callum will be the lead. And he's, he's fantastic. So I forget what your original question was. <laughs> that's, that's quite a right. I'm not, I'm not that sure it matters, but... Um, well, we, we were talking about... You don't fail. Oh, not failing, not failing, not failing. So my point was, I tried everything. I didn't know if I was going to be successful at that. Right? I had no idea. But I've never been afraid to fail. And I've also, I also know that if you do have moments of setback and you're part of a good team, they're going to pick you up, right? Um, my biggest issue in my professional career as an f- athlete, football player, was fumbling. And I remember when Coach Coughlin, our, our new head coach, came in, in in 2004, the first thing he, he said to me was, I don't care how good you are, because I was good. I don't care how good you are. If you're fumbling and you're a liability, you're not playing. And I was like, oh, okay. This might get dicey. <laughs> um, and so I ended up working with my running back coach, Gerald Ingram. And for the entire offseason, I carried the ball high and tight. It became mechanical. Like it used to be like, hold the ball, just hold it across and squeeze it tight. It doesn't work. It's mechanically flawed <laughs> to hold a football like this because there's access up top and, there's, and there's, a, there's a void in the bottom. And so he said, we got to hold it vertical. You got to keep your elbow to your side at all times. And when you come into contact, a, a, a linebacker is stronger than you. So he can pull your arm away. So when you go into contact, take your off ball hand, cover it and go, to, go through contact like this. If you come out of it, you can take it off. But if not... Keep it there and go to the ground like that. Learn how to fall like that. So it was mechanics and learning how to fall. And I drilled this like for, for months. And by the time the next season started, that 04 season, 
I'm carrying the football like right up under my chin, right? And people, if you follow football, you, you yeah. recognize this. It's become something I've been known for. But it was because Coach Cough was like, take me high and tight. And I was like, fuck you, high and tight. Right there. And so I carried it high and tight. And interestingly, it made me faster. So speed, and I only know this because I ran track. Speed is, 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 is three things. Stride length, stride frequency, which is important, and strength, right? How powerful you are, how many, how many iterations of your steps you can do, and how, how many, how, what the distance you cover and eat with each step you take. So there's nothing I can do about stride length. I'm five, nine and a half, it is what it is. Um, I, I, I could get stronger. So I started working out and building stronger, deadlifting and squatting, um, but frequency. My frequency changed when I started carrying the ball like this. So, your arms, I don't know if anybody's a runner here, but your arms have to match your leg frequency. They have to, it just, you can't, your arms can't pump faster than your legs. Like, it's it just natural. Cause think about it, like if you're, like if your arm's going forward, this leg's going forward, this arm can't pump twice, right? And so what would happen was because I was tight here, right? So instead of running like this, I'm tight like this, right? Now my feet, are not doing that. My feet are going like this, right? They're just hit, they're, they're striking faster. And so I actually became faster. So even though I was 29 years old and beat up dec almost a decade in the league, I got faster because I fixed my, 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 my ball carrying style and I turned into an elite player. I rushed for as many yards in those last three seasons as I did in my first seven. The last three, as many yards as the first seven and was an all pro and was one of the best players in the game. But it only happened because I failed like gloriously, <laughs> but then had my team and my coaches help me fix it instead of like being combative against failure. Most people want to combat failure. You should brace it and fix it. And then what are they going to say about you? That was my, that was my stance. That's I never awesome. stopped trying. Yeah. All right. So two questions. Yes. We'll make them easy. Okay. Yankee Zets. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's go there. Yankees. Yanks. Yanks, man. Islanders, Rangers. What was the question? I missed it. Islanders, Rangers. This is a historical Where's question. Where's Devils, please? Jersey. He's a Jersey guy. <laughs> is Ken Danico coming back in a hey, different iteration? He's good dude. He's good dude. Uh, I'm going to say Rangers. Because uh, Shesterkin. Um, and Yankees. All right. Even though I think the Mets, if the Mets, we had this debate on my radio show today. If the Mets and the Yankees played in the World Series and, and the Mets get healthy, so Scherzer comes back, which looks like he is, he's going to come on Sunday, and DeGrom comes back, who had... Who has the edge? McNeil. And McNeil. Right. Who, who has Mets, the edge Mets. in the World Series? There is no edge. It's the Mets. It's the Mets. It's the You're right. Yankees. If the Mets are healthy, the Mets are better than the Yankees. All right. <laughs> you heard it here. I felt like there was a little coaching going on there. <laughs> All right. Last two quick That's questions. That's reading the room. <laughs> exactly. I was born the Bronx, so take Is there anything you want to share with this crowd? Anything you want to share, you've got the opportunity to share any piece of advice you want you, to share. You hit the operative word, and this is because it's my life. Opportun and I, it's funny, 
another story. I can't help it. I can't help myself. So I got asked to do a, a, a Cadillac commercial um, back in 05 after I had one of my really good. Actually, I think it was before that. Maybe it was 04. I got asked to do a Cadillac commercial and they gave me the caddy. It was awesome. Right. Like driving this free truck. It was great. Um, but they they filmed this commercial over in um, in Brooklyn and it was all this like makeup and, you know, do all this walk up to the car. And and this was pre like social media like commercials. Right. And so we did a traditional commercial. And at the end, they said, we're going to try something just for our Facebook page. And they they I drove and they had a guy sitting in the front seat and he just had a little like handheld camera. And he was just asking me questions like, hey, tell me about, you know, New York, playing in New York and tell me about this and tell me about that. And then he and, he, and they asked me about my time at Virginia. And they said, well, tell me about your career at Virginia. And it just led into this stream of like consciousness. So at Virginia, I was just a guy, a jag, they call us, J-A-G, just a guy, guy who's there. If you get called a jag, be better. Someone calls you a jag, be better. Um, so I was just a guy at Virginia. And but going into my third season, I wasn't the starter. And then Kevin Brooks, this is the story I told. And then Kevin Brooks hurt his hamstring right before we played the University of Michigan in the Pigskin Classic, which was a standalone game on national television. UVA playing Michigan in the big house, right? right? And, you know, first, second series, we run a draw. I, Jared Irons hits me in the hole, like, nails me, separates my shoulder, but he, he, I knock me outside and I go 80 yards for a touchdown. I ended up having 180 yards in that game and my career took off. I was the ACC Offensive Player of the Year. That, from that point on, instead of thinking I'm working at Oracle, I'm now going to the NFL. And that's not a joke. Like, it happened. I, was, I wanted to be, seriously, I was, I was a programmer. I went from working at Oracle to going to the NFL in that game. Really, one play. But it was because I was ready for the opportunity. And I was nervous as hell, right? It was, here I was, third, third year guy, not really anything. My brother was a star, but I was just a guy. And I got this opportunity and became a, a, a star. And so in this Cadillac interview, this guy sitting, in, sitting next to me, and we're driving over the Brooklyn Bridge or whichever bridge it was in lower Manhattan. And, you know, I say, Opportunities are rarely perfect, but I also know if you're not ready for them, they might not come again. That became the commercial. Like all that other shit we did beforehand, like the eight hours of filming in Brooklyn, they, they scrapped it. They took this little handheld video and it became the commercial. In fact, they played it in the Super Bowl. It became a Super Bowl commercial and it was pre like doing internet stuff. And so, what I know is that opportunities are rarely ideal. Like it could be like, yeah, do I really want to do that? Man, do you want to go on Broadway? Really? Like, do you, do you really want to try to be a, 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 a Today Show correspondent? Like, do you really want to start a business? Right? All these things, they're just opportunities. And so if I was leaving you a message, it would be, don't be afraid of the opportunities, man, because you don't know where they're going. You don't. And if you let it pass by, it might not come again. So. Very cool. Thank you. So, so tradition, the last question is actually yours. 
you get to ask me anything you want to ask. No. <laughs> and then now I'm now this could could be one of those opportunities. Yes. Or a great risk. But I'll let I'll, uh, I will, I, will I will ask you because you're head of sales. Um, and I this was centered on relationships and all the ones that I now have made. I feel like I know you guys now. The most in your career, the most important relationship you've ever made was what? It's a it's an easy one. Don't, don't say Aldo. No. <laughs> Please don't say Aldo. My wife ah. of 30 years. Why? So I, I will share this story. And I got somebody that knows that's going to keep me honest on this story. <laughs> so I went to Canisius. Okay was studying programming. I thought I wanted to go to Berkeley and be an AI researcher. Some things happened in my life with a girl I was dating in college that didn't work out, fourth year of college. I end up connecting up with now my wife who had moved to Texas and worked for a company called Great Plains Software. She was a channel manager. And we kind of hit it off in Buffalo and she said, this is too quick to end. Why don't you book a flight and come to Austin? Spend two weeks. If we like each other after two weeks <laughs> and you can find a job, stay. And if either Sounds one of those like doesn't uh, yeah, and if either one of these things doesn't work out, get on a plane, go home, call it a two-week vacation, go back to your life. Never turned around. And so opportunity was I've got this opportunity to be with this fantastic woman, and I took it. And it led me into this career, into this industry. I've been in this industry since I left college. Wow. And haven't left it and have, and have had a, just a fantastic, roaring time. So, easy question. Thank you. So, that, so that's, that's why you're still married 33 years later. Yes. Because you're successful because of her. Yes. That's right. I mean, that's Absolutely. Great. You find the right partner, you're good to go. Absolutely. Tiki, it was a pleasure. Thank you, brother. Thank you for tuning in to the RevTech Revolution podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to rate, review, and share this with colleagues who would benefit from it. If you would like to learn more about how Reva can help you improve your customer data operations, check out RevaEngine.com.